That ball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. Hello and welcome to the Matanjaris Podcast, a baseball podcast. I'm Ryan Medeiros here alongside Max Tanzer, and we have a jam-packed show for you guys tonight. Lots to talk about, tons of moves going on across Major League Baseball. We have a huge scandal going on in the Mets front office, but before we get to any of that, we're going to be talking about the sad passing of two baseball greats, Hank Aaron and Don Sutton. Hank Aaron, obviously one of the greatest baseball players of all time, it goes without saying, really, Max, 3,771 hits, the 755 home runs, just a great overall hitter, 928 OPS for his career. Just an absolute legend in the game. We'll start off with Aaron and then get to Sutton. Max, what are your thoughts when you heard the passing of Hank Aaron? Devastating. And, you know, you stated the accolades, obviously, to a point before Barry Bonds was the all-time leader in home runs, broke the incredibly long-held Babe Ruth's home um, home run record of 714. But I think it goes deeper than that to off the field. You know, he was a transcender, a huge ambassador for the game and America as a whole, playing in the South as an African American, African American, excuse me, um, and played a similar role to Jackie than to Jackie Robinson did. And Vince Scully's call of it really paints the picture beautifully. And there wasn't a better guy to call that moment. And it's really a shame. And we've lost so many Hall of Famers and super important players, personnel uh, to Major League Baseball. You know, you got to imagine right now there's a really fun game going on in heaven. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you said it. A legend on and off the field, Hank Aaron, just not too long ago was on MLB Network for the Hank Aaron Awards. Just a true great, you can just tell, loved the game. And like you said, he had to overcome so much adversity. Really one of the true players who broke the color barrier. Uh, you named Jackie Robinson, obviously the most notable one, but Hank Aaron just received so much hate. You know, a bunch of baseball fans wanted Babe Ruth to hold that record, but he just went motoring on past it, blew away Ruth's record, and set one of his own. Really the true home run champion in my mind. Obviously, Barry Bonds, we know the whole deal with that, but Aaron did it clean. Uh, as far as we know, obviously, just one of the true greats, just an unbelievable hitter, did everything the right way on and off the field. Yeah, and you said that perfectly right there in the playoff of that. You know, even when Bonds did surpass him, at the time, he was happy about it. He was hoping it would motivate more young kids to play the game and more people to be motivated by the home run ball because the home run is the biggest thing you could do in baseball. Uh, and to hold that crown is a is a big responsibility. And there's no better man to hold that crown than him. So I, I'm happy considering him the true home run king as well. Um, and it's a shame, but you know his legacy will live on forever, especially uh, with the Hank Aaron Award as well. Yeah, and not to be outdone, another unfortunate passing this week, a true Hall of Fame legend, Don Sutton. 324 career wins, a 326 career ERA. 3,574 strikeouts, a Dodgers legend on the mound. He's part of that rotation with Koufax for a few of those years. And, you know, kind of one of those Hall of Famers that somehow, despite his greatness, fell a little bit under the radar. He passed away this past week, Max. I know uh, Aaron, obviously, was the huge legend figure in the game, but, you know, Sutton should receive just about as much credit himself. 
No doubt. And quite a major league career. I mean, you mentioned the statistics, but played for 23 years, 16 of those with the Dodgers, Angels, Milwaukee, Houston, Oakland as well. Uh, incredible numbers, 5,000 plus innings. It uh, doesn't get much better than that. And you're right, was a little bit undershadowed uh, by Sandy Koufax, but an incredible player, an incredible part of Major League Baseball's history and will be a guy that no one forgets for sure. Yeah, and going from two guys that should really be revered in, in baseball to kind of a not-so-hot topic, um, a really unfortunate person, someone who should probably be looked down upon, Jared Porter this week. The news really dropped like a bombshell. Porter had sent some explicit text messages to a female reporter back in 2016 during his time with the Cubs, and they just surfaced. They had just been released, and uh, the woman who preferred to remain anonymous for good reason um, you know, came out and felt the need to release this story via ESPN just because Porter had kind of, you know, came up to this pedestal and she really didn't want this to happen to anybody else, especially when you have this type of power as a general manager of a team like the New York Mets. Uh, she really hoped that, you know, something like this would not happen to anyone ever again. So this was a really unfortunate incident. It's something that really makes it tough and it, it sets a good example, an unfortunate example for the life of females in the world of sport media, just what they have to go through uh, in today's day and age, unfortunately. Uh, I guess the one good thing to come out of this was it did shed some light on the struggles of female reporters and other facets of sport media that, that females are a part of. But, you know, this is just a tough deal on the baseball side of things for the Mets. Now they have to find a new person to kind of lead their front office. I know they have Sandy Alderson already, but Max, I know you can touch on both sides of this. Um, what were your thoughts after hearing the Porter news? Yeah, and I think Sandy Alderson did say that they won't be addressing a new general manager until the next offseason. But uh, it's pathetic, in my opinion. And there's no excuse. There's no defense for this whatsoever. And it's really a shame. No person in power should treat anyone like that. And a lot of respect to the female reporter for coming out about this story because it's incredibly hard to come out about this story, especially Porter being the GM of the New York Mets right now. Uh, and I give a lot of kudos to Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson, and the New York Mets front office for being very responsive to it quickly, putting out a good statement, uh, and making the decision that I think some organizations would consider difficult, but really was. Porter did not deserve that job, and they did the right thing, fired him on the spot that next morning. And it's sad. You know, it's it's sad for Major League Baseball sports, but as you said, it's a it's something that's important to address, and hopefully, this can give the problem some more exposure, and hopefully, this is doesn't happen again. Yeah, and this situation could have gotten really ugly if the Mets didn't handle it like they did. I mean, as soon as, pretty much within the next twelve hours. Porter was gone. I mean, he was terminated and they got rid of him. Uh, if this had been one of the situations in which they had said, hey, let's hold out a little bit, make sure we know all the details, it was pretty blatantly obvious. The text messages were raunchy, they were released, and everyone saw it. They were there for the world to see. There was no coming back from it. Porter tried to take a step back and say, hey, that uh, photo wasn't really me. It was something else. I took it off the internet. Really? But then he even could, he couldn't even, he couldn't even defend that. So I don't really want to get into a whole lot of detail about this. It was big news on the week, but so we had to have to address it, but you know, it's really disgusting. Porter should be ashamed of himself and he will never come back from this ever. So serves him right. Uh, I mean, really pathetic. So 
Anyways, let's move on to some of the more fun news of the week. We got through the, the dark topics from the past week, but a whole lot of good things going on across Major League Baseball. Our, we'll start out with my very own Boston Red Sox. They finally started making some moves. Martin Perez, two-year, $10 million deal with the 2022 option. Uh, Enrique Hernandez with a two-year, $14 million deal. And just today, uh, this is Saturday, Garrett Richards, one-year, $10 million deal. They capped off the week. Three deals. Very interesting. Max, which one of these deals stuck out to you? Or you could even address a few of them. Yeah, well, I think the big thing is, and you've really harped on it the last couple of months, is the Red Sox need starting pitching and they need guys to eat innings. You fill in two rotation spots with Martin Perez and Garrett Richards. Richards, the health will be a question mark coming to this season, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Let's start with Kike Hernandez. I mean, we were literally in the car yesterday when the rumors came out that the Red Sox were interested in Kike. And I know it wasn't Tommy Listell and the big guy you wanted, but... I looked a little bit deeper into it, and there is some value there for Kike. Uh, eight defensive runs saved at second base in 2020 in just 30 games, which is the second most he's had in his major league career for a single season to 13 and 19, which was in twice the amount of total chances. Uh, and then four outs above average at second base in 2019 as well. So obviously the defense uh, plays a big role for him. Versatility, but I do think he'll probably stay at second base a lot more, which really should help him, honestly, offensively, uh, not having to move around and worry about a new position every day. If he's just a second baseman, his best defensive spot, arguably, I think that'll benefit him the most in the long 162-game season. Yeah, this deal has grown on me, and you know I wasn't too pleased with the money that went into this. I thought maybe if they got him on a bargain-type deal, which is something that Bloom's been trying to do this whole offseason, that, okay, maybe it would make sense even though it wasn't the best fit. But they gave him $7 million per year, which is a lot of money. That's starting second baseman-type money. So you'd have to assume the Red Sox are going to think, He's going to be starting. The reason I wasn't too happy about this deal is because he hasn't provided much value with the bat the past two seasons. The OPS plus has been in the 80s, so about 20% below league average the past two seasons. The big year he had was in 2018. So this is the one that makes me believe that he could have some value at the plate. 21 home runs in 2018, 806 OPS with a 117 OPS plus. With the positional versatility and the ability to play a lot of positions and and being able to impact the game in a numerous number of ways. If he can provide the value at the plate that he did in 2018, plus that versatility, plus his base running and, you know, just clubhouse presence, I think he could be worth 7 million or even more per year, but he just hasn't shown that uh, value with the bat over the past two seasons. Yeah. And I think they're buying high on him for sure. You know, and I know the Mets were in this and it makes you wonder if the Mets increase the price by bidding. Uh, But I was looking at some of his numbers a little bit deeper here. The walk rate since 2018, that big season for him, has fallen off a cliff, and the strikeout rate has increased steadily about 3 or 4%. Uh, so he's only had an on-base clip of about 296 from the end of that season compared to the 336 and 18. So if he which can is, get which, not to interrupt you, that's just an embarrassing number. If your on-base percentage is below 300 or even below 330, that is very poor. But continue. Yeah, and I think if he can just get that walk rate back a little bit up, it'll decrease the strikeouts, obviously. He'll get on base more, and then he'll be a little bit more productive at the plate. You know, And I don't think this was him trying to add power, because in 2018, he left the yard 21 times. So I don't know if this was an approach change. I mean, maybe he was trying to increase his power even more. I actually think his uh, launch angle has decreased a little bit in the last year. Uh, but I do think that his whole problem can be fixed by just being a little bit more disciplined at the plate. Which is easier said than done, but yes, I agree with you. I think, 
you know, one thing that can provide you with a positive outlook on Hernandez is the fact that he's going to get a good number of plate appearances. He's going to get pretty consistent playing time. So he could either blossom with that extra playing time and being able to see more pitching more consistently. I mean, in the past, he's only really hit against lefties because uh, he's shown some good potential as a platoon guy in the past with the Dodgers. But, you know, sometimes guys, there, there could be a reason he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time against righties, and that's because he hasn't really performed against them. But in his full season, where he got a lot of plate appearances in 2018, he had 462 plate appearances, appeared in 145 games. That's where he showcased his best numbers against right-handed pitchers, that he actually had reverse platoon splits. He actually hit better against right-handed pitchers. So that's got to be what the Red Sox are hoping for, I would have to imagine, is that with more playing time, uh, he knows Alex Cora very well, so Cora has to have some hope in his potential uh, and really believe in him. I have to imagine that was a huge part of it, but I think the Red Sox are hoping that with you know a little bit more playing time, consistent playing time, he can blossom at the plate. So uh, the Garrett Richards deal, I want to turn over to that a little bit. We talked about Hernandez for a bit. Hern- Richards is interesting, and we know his stat cast. He lights up spin rate. He's rates really high in fastball spin, curveball spin. Hasn't really put it together yet. We were talking about this earlier today, uh, before we had dinner actually, about uh, how, how we really feel like Richards might have a high ceiling, but there's a lot of ifs with him if he can stay healthy, if he can really maximize his potential. What are your thoughts on Richards in the $10 million deal? Yeah, it's a lot of money for a guy who has struggled with durability in the past. Um, but, you know, you talk about the high spin rate numbers, and we'll see if the Red Sox can take use that to their advantage and maybe try to change something here. You know, we talked about it at dinner. He has a 99th percentile curveball spin rate, so one of the best curveballs in Major League Baseball in terms of spin, and he only used that 7.5% of the time last season. The year before that, only 12.1% of the time. Those two seasons was the pitch he used the least. Now, maybe you you brought this point up. It could have to do with the elbow and the Tommy John and so forth, or maybe he's not very comfortable. Maybe he struggles with command. There's plenty of issues here, but maybe a couple adjustments here, and we could get... Not an elite Garrett Richards like we saw when he came up with the Angels initially, but a very solid middle-of-the-rotation type guy. Yeah, and in 2020, Richards was finally healthy for a full season, albeit a shortened season, but he had a 4.03 ERA. Ten games started, appeared in 14 games, four out of the bullpen. 51 the third innings pitch, struck out 46, so a little bit below average strikeout numbers. Uh, in the past, I mean, you look at his career numbers, I will say, 3.62 ERA, and we talked about the ability to stay healthy, which he hasn't had much luck in his career. But back in 2014, he had a 2.61 ERA in 26 starts, 2015, a 3.65 ERA in 32 starts. Even as soon as 2018, he had a 3.66, only 16 starts in that season. But if you can provide 16 starts with a 3.6 ERA for the Red Sox, that's way better than anything they had out of the rotation last year. They're, besides their top three starters, I was looking at a stat earlier today, three or, or, or five projected starters for this year. All the rest of the guys that are gone now, like the Matt Halls, the Ryan Webbers, the Zach Godleys, I believe Dylan Covey might have been in that group. Those guys had an ERA over seven combined last season, so they just needed any sort of pitching, and Richards will provide that. I think $10 million might have been a little high. It does look bad after the Yankees just signed Kluber for $11 million over one year, but the belief is, from what I've heard, that the Red Sox were looking for a two-year deal or at least a second year with an option for Kluber. So they got Richards on the one-year $10 million deal. 
they lost out on Kluber, but you know, two guys with a little bit of an injury history, at least Richards did throw 51 to third innings last year. So that provides me a little bit of confidence that he can give them some quality innings this year. A guy with consistency, which is exactly what the Red Sox have needed, and I've been high on this guy and bringing him back for a cheaper deal, is Martin Perez. Two years, $10 million, that 2022 option. I think this is an excellent deal, exactly what the Red Sox needed. He pitched 62 innings for them last year, 12 starts with a 4-5 ERA. And we've talked about this in the past. A 4-5 ERA with quality innings work is super valuable. Perez can give you just that. Uh, the past two years, in 2018 and 19, he struggled with ERAs well over, we had a 5-1-2 in 2019 and a 6-2-2 in 2018, but what the Red Sox need is quality innings, and I believe that Perez can give you that. Yeah, and just to add to your point right there, with the 4-5 ERA, his ERA plus was at 104, which is about 4% above average right there, so that's a pretty solid pitcher. Uh, he's tossed 160-plus innings three times in his major league career, averaged about five and a third of an inning uh, in his starts last year, and as you said, woolly innings. He's very dependable, very solid. Again, doesn't light up the radar gun, does get a decent amount of ground balls. The ground ball rate was a little bit down than in the past, where it was up towards 50%. Uh, but still uh, eats innings for you and should be very solid. I don't think he's going to be a guy that they just throw in there to eat innings. I think he'll give them opportunities to win as well. Yeah, and what the Red Sox have been looking for this year is, can, is you know, versatility and consistency. And I think Perez can bring you that. Another guy they were looking at besides Hernandez, they actually lost out on Jerks and Profar. A guy I spoke about versatility is something that they've been looking for. Uh, Profar, who I spoke about just, just a second ago, signed with the San Diego Padres this week, a three-year, $21 million deal. So the same average salary as Hernandez will receive with the Red Sox, but you know, apparently the Padres were looking or, or offered that extra year for Profar. So he took that deal up. I mean, Profar's a solid guy, 113 OPS plus the, in 2020 in a small sample size. Uh, 56 games actually, so not too small, obviously in the shortened season, so we won't get a huge sample from him, but he provided above average offensive stats, a lot of versatility, he's an athletic player, once a very, very highly touted prospect, so this is a good deal for the Padres who just keep adding on. Yeah, and I think this is a guy they really wanted now, albeit a jam-packed offensive, you know, uh, roster that they have. Uh, he's a guy who was on the team last year and was big in the clubhouse and, as you said, provides a lot of versatility. But 20 home runs in 18 and 19 as well, plus 7 and about 202 plate appearances last season. So he has some pop from both sides of the plate. Uh, very athletic, as you said. And again, isn't going to be this game-changing guy that they've acquired, but is a really huge role player that can make so many differences on and off the field, whether it's coming into a game late, uh, giving a guy a day off by playing a certain position, or starting if he's on a hot streak or something like that. So I like this move for them. Uh, wasn't extremely expensive as well. You know, they have a lot of guys now. You know, we talk about uh, their middle infield. Profar can play those positions. Uh, you have, obviously, uh, Hung Soon Kim, who they acquired um, from the KBO this season. And then you have Cronenworth up the middle, Tatis up the middle. And then you throw the outfield, and you already had three or four guys jammed, logged, and then you bring in Profar. That's another fifth guy out there. They'll figure it out. But the fact that a lot of these guys can play multiple positions like Cronenworth and Profar is uh, very valuable for them. 
Yeah, and Profar is just one of those natural type athletes. He came up in 2012 super early at age 19, and he really didn't get any consistent playing time until the 2018 season. He had never played more than 90 games until that season. 2018, he appeared in 146 games and was above average. I mean, pretty close to league average with a 107 OPS plus, but like you said, knocked 20 home runs. He also had 35 doubles and six triples that season. Took a step back in 2019 with Oakland A's, still hit 20 home runs. The extra base power was down a little bit, 24 doubles, two home runs in 139 games, batted 218, but uh, showed enough potential that the Padres were willing to take him on in 2020, and he rewarded them by performing his best season yet. So it should be he should be a good piece for them. And again, like you said, a team that's just so deep, why not take a flyer and add more depth? Like we said in the previous show, the Dodgers have done that, and they've seen it firsthand the past few years. You can't get enough enough quality depth, so that's just what they got. Speaking of the Padres adding quality depth, another starter for the San Diego Padres via a trade, Joe Musgrove. They acquired him from the Pirates in a three-team deal. Joey Luke Casey is headed to the Mets, and Hudson Head is heading to the Pirates among a couple other prospects. But the notable guy in this deal, the Padres acquire yet another starter, Joe Musgrove. What were your thoughts when you heard that Musgrove was headed to the Padres? I was surprised because I thought they were done in terms of starting pitchers, but I love the move for them. And Musgrove was a guy that was, you know, being shot out there by the Pirates to several teams. And I didn't think the asking price was this high, but the Pirates got themselves a pretty good return. But Musgrove, it's well deserved. A 3.86 ERA last season, 55 strikeouts and 39 and two thirds of an innings pitch. Talk about the stack cast. This is a sea of red. Almost every single category you could ask for. He's basically great to elite in um, and again making strides with the Pirates of course was with the Astros back when he uh, first came up here and you're talking about a guy who had above average strikeout numbers in a 3.86 ERA being in the back of rotation sounds like the San Diego Padres to me a great move for them didn't have to give up too much Hudson Head was the only like top 10 prospect they gave up in this so this theme continues of getting huge pieces for the Padres without having to shed from their top ranked farm system yeah, and like we said, a team that's seen it firsthand with the Dodgers. You can't have enough pitching. You can't have enough position player depth to be a successful franchise. And Musgrove strikes me as a guy who, in his fifth year, is finally blossoming into the pitcher that people thought he could be. A 3.86 ERA in 2020. Ironically, only ended up with a 1-5 record. Not so ironic because it was with the Pirates when you look into the, the stats. They were, one, they were the worst team in Major League Baseball in 2020, but... You know, I mean, Musgrove is rewarded by getting traded to the Padres, who are going to be a great team. I'm sure his record will be a lot better than it was in 2020. You mentioned those stat cast peripherals, and this was reflected in his results. Three, 39 and two-thirds innings, 55 strikeouts. So he was striking out batters left and right last year. A 116 ERA plus, well above league average. In the previous four seasons, he'd been right around league average about 97 ERA plus in three of the previous four years, and exactly a 97 ERA plus. That's pretty interesting looking at that. The other year was an 86 ERA plus, so, you know, 14% below league average. But like I said, in a fifth year, it seems like the exact type of guy who's just figuring it out. Yeah, and I would have done more research on it to figure it out if I had looked at it before. I'm noticing, look at this K-rate jump. Averaging literally about 20% through his first four major league seasons, jumps 13% in 2020. Obviously, he made some sort of adjustment, and it paid off. Big stuff for Moose Grove, and hopefully uh, he continues to climb. 
And this is an interesting thing. I will add on a little bit of a downside to this deal if you're a Padres fan, if there is one, is that it makes you wonder a little bit. Are the Padres not too confident mm-hmm. in the health of a guy like Denelson Lamette, who is projected to be a big starter this year? Why do they feel the need to keep adding? Obviously, it's great if you're a fan coming from the perspective of, hey, we keep getting these great players. This is fantastic. But you also have to wonder, is there something else going on that's leading them to this point? Because, you know, after the Darvish and Snell trades, you would have thought, like you said, hey, these guys are done. They added enough pitching at this point. Plus, they have a ton of good young prospects coming up on the fringe, like Mackenzie Gore, Ryan Weathers. But, you know, it does make you wonder a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to say the thing about Gore and Weathers in that situation. It makes you wonder what their plans are for them because these aren't just rentals. These are guys that have multiple years of control, you know, including a guy like Clevenger, including a guy like Snell and Darvish as well that will be in the midst of this rotation for the next three years. Lamette has team control as well. Paddock has team control. Paddock, I feel like, is the one that probably is the odd one out in the next couple years when Gore and Weathers come up. But they have so many options and so many guys for so much control. It does make you wonder if... They're not sharing everything, which would make sense, obviously. Um, it's not their information to share per se, uh, but you got to wonder if there is something that we don't know. Yeah, and speaking of pitching depth, don't sleep on the part of this deal where Lucchese is heading to the New York Mets. He did struggle a little bit in 2020 in his small sample size before he got banged up a little bit. He had a 7-9-4 in five and two-thirds innings, so you really don't take much stock in that. Yeah, it wasn't really a big part of the Pirates because, like I said, he was banged up, didn't pitch very much at all. The previous two seasons were good. I mean, he, had, he was right around league average, provided quality innings, 163 and two-thirds innings in 2019 with 158 strikeouts. So just about, just about a strikeout per inning there, 100 ERA plus. So exactly league average. Like we said, that's valuable. Uh, 94 ERA plus in his first season, 26 starts in 2018. He made it his debut year. Uh, 145 strikeouts and 130, so that's more than a strikeout per inning. Lucchese can be a very valuable guy at the back end of the rotation for the New York Mets. Yeah, and I think what's underlooked about what the New York Mets have done this year is more than just the mainstream moves, like like, like your Francisco Lindors, like your Trevor Mays, and so forth, the interest that they had in Springer and Bauer. Uh, But they're doing a good job, Alderson and Cohen and that entire crew, in making sure that they're adding depth. Jose Martinez, obviously, to a minor league deal. Just in case you need a DH or someone goes down, obviously Martinez is basically a DH. You can't defend very well. But that depth, plus Lucchese, who I don't even know if he'll start on the opening day roster, depending on how their pitching pans out and if they make any more moves, but is a very nice guy to have available, not just in your pen, but as a back-end rotation starter as well. And really kind of could be a replacement to a Steven Matz type. Yeah, and, and depth is a huge thing. We talked about with the Padres, looking at the Dodgers, a former Padres reliever who is going to be probably at the back end of the bullpen for the Blue Jays, a big signing for them this week, was Kirby Yates. Didn't pitch a whole lot in 2020. He got injured and had some arm trouble, but he's supposedly going to be back to full health in 2021, which will be huge. He was a dominant reliever, arguably the best reliever in baseball coming out of the 2019 season. 41 saves, 1.19 ERA. That's a 3.64 ERA+. plus unbelievable numbers 101 strikeouts in 60 and two-thirds innings Yates is just an unbelievable pitcher when healthy really figured it out one of those late bloomers and it wasn't just 2019 in 2018 the year he really broke out for the Padres 65 games 2.14 ERA that's a 180 ERA plus 80 percent above league average excellent numbers for him 90 strikeouts in 63 innings 
from 2018, the jump was absolutely astronomical heading into 2019. I mentioned that 1.19. He seemed like he was on track to keep performing to be the best reliever in baseball, but unfortunately, his career was derailed by the arm injuries in 2020. But what do you think? Heading into 2021, the Blue Jays are believing they signed him to a $5.5 million deal with some incentives. If you're Yates, you take that type of deal, you have faith in yourself, and they could be rewarded. Yeah, and I, I like this move for both ends. It's very uh, team-friendly. I think the $5.5 million mark is a pretty good spot for a guy who's had injury troubles in the past. There is some concern. It was surgery on bone chips in his elbow, which is never what you want to see for a pitcher here. The incentives I looked, it's $3 million added on for 35 appearances, 1.5 extra for 70, uh, which is doable, at least for the 35 part. He's made 60 appearances on every season, ranging from 17 to 19 before the surgery, so that's good news. The even better news for the Blue Jays is this is a huge bolster to their bullpen. A 4.71 team ERA last year in their bullpen, which was 24th in Major League Baseball, and MLB worst 144 walks from their relievers, uh, and a 4.6 Sierra, which was 26th as well. Uh, add on to the fact that they're losing Giles, who obviously was hurt for the majority of last year. Anthony Bass, who we'll talk about later, also signing with the Marlins. They have some good pieces in Dolis and Cole and so forth, uh, but adding Yates here, if he's healthy, could be a huge part to the Blue Jays' success in 2021. Yeah, they definitely needed somebody, like you said. They have some interesting arms. Jordan Romano, I'll add on, was another interesting arm this past season. But Yates is a veteran guy. He's done it before. While there is some health concerns, it's not the end of the world because if, if he's not healthy because, like you said, they do have some other arms. But they did need somebody if they're going to be the competitive team that we think they can be. And they weren't done this week. I mean, another huge move. Yates was a big move. The massive move of the week was George Springer heading to the Blue Jays. Six years, $150 million deal. Uh, this is tough for me as a Red Sox fan. It puts them in a tough position, probably slots them in fourth in the division. But, you know, you got to be happy if you're a Blue Jays fan. Springer, you can't say enough about what he's done with Houston in his career. I'll just run through the numbers. 131 career OPS plus in those years with Houston. 39 home runs in 2019. He had a 7, or uh, rather, or excuse me, a 974 OPS, 150 OPS plus in a full year in 2019. Actually didn't even play a full year in 2019. He hit 39 home runs in 122 games. He seemed like he was blossoming into being a true star that year. Unfortunately, he has dealt with some injuries. The only full year he had where he played 162 games was in 2016, but 140 games in 2017, 140 games in 2018. The 122, like I said, in 2019, almost played a full season in 2020, 51 games. And 14 home runs, 140 OPS plus, 899 OPS. Those are good numbers. He's a great offensive player, and he's great on defense too. So he'll slot into center field for the Blue Jays. Yeah, slug side gets on base a lot as well. And I have some stats to back it up. From 2017 to 20, he's in the top 10 out of all outfielders in home runs, OPS, hits, and RBIs, which is pretty interesting because – I looked, I did the numbers, 99.3% of his plate appearances in that span were from the leadoff spot, and he was still driving in that many runs, which is very, very impressive. Yeah, and let me jump in real quick, and that just goes to back it up. He was top 10 in those categories, and he didn't even play full seasons. Like I mentioned, 140 games in, in 17 and 18, 122 and 19, and he still rated super high in those categories. 
No doubt. And then the defense, too, eight outs above average in 2019. Also in 2020, took a little bit of a step back, but still had a 69 percentile performance that year as well. So he could play defense. As he gets older, he'll probably move towards a corner position. I'd imagine he's probably going to be in center field over Teoscar Hernandez. He'll probably push him to the right side or left, wherever it may be. But they have a lot of good outfielders there in that situation as well. We could talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but a great move for them. I think it's worth the price. While I think it's a little bit higher than people would have valued him at, it's a good deal for him. They get a sort of franchise guy that they can build around as well. And now I really think they're just a couple of pitchers away, maybe one more bullpen piece from being a legitimate threat in the American League East. Yep, and speaking of pitching, they weren't done with Yates this week. They added Tyler Chatwood. Not the most exciting piece, but a guy who's always been kind of one of those interesting arms. People have thought he's had a chance to break out. In 2019 with the Cubs, he only started five games but had 38 appearances. 116 ERA plus, so good respectable numbers for him that year. 74 strikeouts and 76 and two-thirds innings. Uh, in 2020, he took a step back, only started five games, only had five appearances on the season with a 5-3 ERA. Interestingly enough, 25 strikeouts since 18 and two-thirds innings, so maybe the Blue Jays are looking at that and thinking he can have you know, high sustained strikeout numbers. The walks have always been a concern. 95 walks in 102 thirds innings. That is abysmal in 2018, to put it kindly. He's really struggled with control in his career, and as a starting pitcher, you have to have good control. You can't have guys on the base pass all the time. You can't give guys free passes. But who knows? They might use him out of the bullpen. They signed him to a one-year, $3 million deal. So who knows if they'll plan to use him as a swing man. I think that's potentially where he's most valuable. But what are your thoughts on this deal? Yeah, I'm going to use one of your terms on this one. Take a flyer on him. They can mess around with him and try to see something blossom right here. 96th percentile fastball spin, 96th percentile curveball spin. So you have some tools to work with here. If they can play with that, mess around a little bit, maybe discover something here, they might have a real special piece. But again, you know, this isn't going to transform them into, you know, the American American League East favorites, in my opinion. But could work out in the long run. But a buy low move, that could really pay off in the end. That's how I would put it. But you know, the move that would transform the Blue Jays into American League East <laughs> contenders was the Michael Brantley signing. Great job. Oh, oh, sorry, Blue Jays fans. So <laughs> close. Brantley was reported to sign with the Blue Jays this past week. But, you know, things took a turn when it turned out that the deal hadn't been completed. And later that day, he signed with the Houston Astros for two years, $32 million. Really nice deal for Brantley. Unfortunate signing for the Blue Jays, who thought that they had their middle-of-the-order slugger. But you can't say enough about what Brantley's done. 126 OPS plus in 2020, 116 for his career. A guy who had a point in his career struggled with injuries a lot. He was banged up a little bit in 2020, but still played in 46 games and was uh, the main hitter at the heart of the Astros' order. Rarely whiffs ever rarely strikes out only 28 and 187 plate appearances in 2020 so he's a great guy who will continue to be a veteran presence in the middle of the astros whole order no doubt and i think this was a huge move for them one losing stringer to the blue jays and then potentially losing josh reddick as well uh getting michael brantley back at least bolsters that corner spot position in left field they could use him as a dh depends on if, if alvarez is healthy or not uh but no this is a good move and i think it was jp marizzi who said he was the left-handed dj lemayhew and in many ways he is like you said doesn't strike out a lot very dependable has some pop uh but is always consistent and especially the last couple years here and i know we've talked about it i mean this astros lineup is not bad and i think adding brantley kind of reaffirms that and kind of 
you know, gives Astros fans a little bit more of a backbone going into 2021. And then you add their pitching staff too, which is a little bit underlooked. We talked about this earlier. I don't think the Astros are a bad team. I think there's a narrative that the AL West is open. I think the Astros should still be the favorites for this one. Don't let 29 and 31 fool you. I still think the Astros win this division, especially given the fact that, look, the A's haven't done anything to improve. And the Angels, while they've gotten a little bit better, haven't done anything drastic to make them a threat to the Astros. Yeah, and you talked about this with me earlier today. We think a, a huge part of this narrative that the Astros aren't great is the fact that nobody likes the Astros at this point. <laughs> and for good reason, obviously, the whole cheating scandal, we'll say it once, we'll say it again, trash cans here and there. But, you know, you go through the lineup. Jose Altuve, bang. Alex Bregman, bang. Carlos Correa, bang. I'll add in those bangs in the middle just to make fun of the guys. But they're good hitters. They're good players regardless. And I expect them to take a step towards where they were back when they were cheating. But, you know, I, I think they're good players in general, and I think they're really underlooked at this point. And like you mentioned, the starting rotation is very good as well. Yeah, and then some nice bullpen pieces they added as well to kind of complement Paredes and Presley. Uh, Ryan Stanek, who at one point was one of the better relief pitchers in the game, a product of the Tampa Bay Rays. Just like the Rays, the Astros have been known to be able to turn pitchers into, you know, the best in the game, arguably, and maybe they can you know, recreate Ryan Stanek in many ways. And then adding Pedro Baez as well, who we talked about last week, is a very uh, solid above-average arm, too. They won't be bad. This is a, this is a good team. You know, they're not going to be the Atlanta Braves or the Los Angeles Dodgers, but I do think they are a legitimate 88-94 to 94 win team. Yeah, and they weren't done this week. They added Jason Castro to help, you know, add some... Add some pop behind the plate. He struggled uh, He struggled at the plate the past few seasons in 2020. He did not have a good year at all. He hit 188 with an 83 OPS plus. But, you know, he's always got the ability to run into one. It's like Mike Z behind the plate. He's always, they always got the ability. They always got you thinking that, hey, maybe he could run into one here and make this a tie ball game. But Castro was actually not bad in 2019 when he played 79 games with the Twins. He had a 102 OPS plus, which for a catcher is pretty good. He had 13 home runs that season. The big year for Castro was back in 2013, uh, a long time ago, you know, granted, but 18 home runs, 35 doubles, 130 OPS plus. He's never quite gotten close to that again, but that was back during his time with Houston. He's played for the Astros for a good portion of his career, and he returns back home to where he started his career. Yeah, and, you know, the Astros... He's one of the first examples of them using analytics to improve a player uh, drastically with his framing mechanics and metrics and working on that as well. And then offensively, too. I like them reuniting with him. Uh, he's familiar with the organization. Um, you know, they've definitely changed a lot since he's last been there. There's still some familiar faces for him, but it's a good move. Uh, it's a nice depth move, and they already have enough power and I think firepower in their offense that it's okay to buy you know a catcher who may not be uh Wilson Contreras or so yeah and they have Martin Maldonado also who's tremendous plate, who's I gonna be him. the you know he's gonna be the main big defender for you great veteran presence but Castro's a good veteran presence as well and he'll probably see a good portion of the at-bats against right-handed pitching you would have to assume based on his resume versus righties in his career you know, the Astros are, like we said, you know, a little underrated, so to speak, somehow. But, you know, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how they look going forward. So, 
Kind of wrapping up here, we finished our team's theme. The Blue Jays were busy the past week. The Astros were bit busy. The Padres, per usual, like the whole offseason, were busy. Red Sox were very busy after being dormant most of the offseason. But some other moves were in the mix. We got some lefty starting pitching, which some valuable signings. J.A. Happ, J-Hap, I should say. That always throws me off. One-year, $8 million deal with the Minnesota Twins. Jose Quintana, one-year, $8 million deal with the Angels. And John Lester, a one-year, $5 million deal with a mutual 2022 option with the Washington Nationals. Which one of these deals stood out to you? I like the J-Hap deal a lot. Um, the Twins needed a pitcher, and I think J-Hap is... One of the more underlooked pitchers, you know, over the last five years or so in Major League Baseball, but also has experience being on big teams and going in deep into the postseason. Uh, hasn't gone to a World Series, I don't believe, since 2009 when he was with the Phillies. But uh, let's take a look at his numbers for the last five years, Ryan. They are very good. Uh, 374 ERA in 902 thirds of an innings pitched, an ERA plus of 114. It's the last five years. I mean, you go back to last year, just nine starts, but a 347 ERA. Did struggle a bit in 19, but again, you know, I think this is a good move for the Twins here. It's not Trevor Bauer. I understand that's frustrating, but it should help you. It does improve you. And I think Hap is a guy that they should value a lot here. Yeah, and like you said, a really underlooked guy. Ironically, an interesting stat with Hap is, despite having one of the lowest fastball velocities or lowest average fastball velocities in the big leagues, he had one of the highest whiff percentages on that fastball. So, very underlooked guy, sneaky good pitcher. 49 the third innings pitch, 42 strikeouts, 3-4-7 ERA, and 9 starts in 2020. In 2019, he had one of his, you know, outlier below average seasons where he had a uh, 91 ERA plus but besides that all his seasons have been above average he pitched very well in 2018 with the Blue Jays and the Yankees 3.65 ERA he was an all-star 17 and 6 and 31 starts 177 two-thirds innings pitched 193 strikeouts so a guy who has low velocity but strikes out a lot of guys very, very crafty, very solid pitcher, a veteran who knows how to get it done. And in a ballpark like Target Field, I think he could, you know, have some success. I think it's not like, and he's done well in Yankee Stadium, so that's about <laughs> as tough of a park to pitch in as there is besides maybe Colorado. So I think Haps, a veteran, knows how to get it done. I like you pointing out the sneakiness of that signing. Another sneaky signing, Jose Quintana with the Los Angeles Angels. The Angels get one pitcher at least. They've been crying for pitching the past few seasons. But, you know, he'll slot in maybe in the three or four spot in the rotation, potentially even higher. Uh, he's been declining the past few seasons with age, but he's been a solid guy. He gives you innings. Like we said, that is very valuable. 170 innings or more in 2018 and 19. Um, he's, you know, in 2020, he had his first, you know, tough health season in a while. Only 10 innings pitched, four games, one started. He came on late in the season for the Cubs and pitched out of the bullpen a little bit. But, you know, he's pitched in Chicago his whole career, and now he pitches in a city outside of Chicago as for his home team for the first time in his career. A lot with the White Sox, a lot with the Cubs, and now he's with the Angels. How do you think he's going to succeed with them in 2021? I think it'll be solid. And again, you talked about the decline. He's only going into his age 32 season, which actually surprises me. I thought he was much older than that. Uh, but like you said, it's a broken record at this point, but it's very important. I think it's something underlooked about having guys who can 
give your bullpen a rest by going deep and give your offense an opportunity to stay in a ball game. To reinforce what you said about the innings pitch, let's go down. 2013 to 19, 200 innings pitch, 200 and a third, 206 and a third, 208, 188, 104, 174, 171. Take out the 10 innings in 2020, which was a crazy year in general. You know, if you can get 150-plus innings out of Jose Quintana next year, with the offense the Angels have, you know, we could see some wins from him uh, from the left side this season. I think it's a good move. Again, I can't say too much. I do think that there's a good chance they end up with Trevor Bauer. I know the Dodgers are in the Mets, have some interest as well. Uh, But we'll see what happens here. We already talked about a couple months ago how the Angels have a pretty solid foundation with their big three. Uh, I shouldn't say big three, but solid three at the top of the rotation. Adding Quintana, maybe. Maybe one more guy, and they should be in decent shape. Yeah, and I think the the reason we've seen Quintana decline a little bit, like you said, he's he has good control. He throws a lot of innings, which makes him valuable. But the fastball velocity has declined, which he didn't throw very hard to begin with. It's only dropped about a mile in an hour since 2015. But you know that's a big drop, especially when you're talking about averages. So we'll see. I think, again, the big thing for the Angels is, can he eat up innings? Can he just be solid? They haven't had anyone who's been really solid the back end of the rotation. They have Heaney, they have Canning, and they have Bundy, who you'd hope would be the top guys who would be above average to lead the rotation. So Quintana will probably slot in the four spot for them. And as long as he can pitch some innings, he can be valuable. That's what he's looking. That's what they're looking for with Quintana. Another guy who's kind of similar to Quintana, another southpaw, is John, is John Lester. His velocity's declined the past few seasons. He hasn't been super successful with the Cubs over the past two seasons. But, you know, he was once super dominant. He's another guy who's been pretty durable, very durable throughout his career. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. He's another guy that the Nationals will probably hope will be a veteran presence and eat some innings. The only thing I think I can guarantee on this is that veteran presence. Nothing to take away from. I just think it's sort of a wild card going into next year. A 5.6 year in 61 innings, a 4.46 the year before, which is pretty respectable. I don't think he'll be atrocious next season, but I don't think he'll be, you know, the John Lester that we're used to here. It is pretty cool from a fan perspective to see him in a rotation with guys like Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. I mean, I made the joke. You know, just earlier this week, that if we had this, if the Nationals had this rotation five years ago, you have a super rotation in Major League Baseball. Uh, but it's a cool move. I'm happy that Lester's staying in the game. It's a good opportunity for him to, you know, add on to what's a potential Hall of Fame resume here. But I would be lying to you if I said that this is a game changing move for the Nats. No, and I mentioned that fastball decline. And as the fastball velocity has gone down for Lester, the ERA has skyrocketed up. In 2018, he was very, very good. All-star season, 18-6 and six with a 3-3-2 ERA in 32. Games started, 181 and two-thirds innings pitched for a 125 ERA+. plus. Since then, since that 3-3-2 in 2019, he had a 4-4-6. So that's a big drop right there. He still threw 171 two-thirds innings pitched, and he had a 98 ERA+. plus. He was about league average in 2019, so that's valuable. 2020, not so much. He had an 86 ERA+, plus, 5-1-6, as you'd mentioned, 61 innings pitched. But, you know, 61 innings pitched is good value. If he can just get that ERA down, which it doesn't seem too promising based on the advanced statistics, you know, he can provide some value for you, but it's not looking too bright. $5 million deal for a, you know, a veteran starting pitcher who you would think with so much time in baseball, we saw CeCe Sabathia adjust in his time with the Yankees. You have to evolve into a different type of pitcher. Lester has been a type of guy who has that sneaky good velocity that Hap had late in his career. 
where he could kind of beat guys inside, jam them and with his little zip on his fastball cutter and get them to ground out. But now guys are just beating him with that drop in velocity. He's not going to be able to beat guys in anymore. But if he can get a little bit more crafty and figure it out and paint the outside corners and, you know, pitch around guys a little bit more, I think he could kind of resurrect his career. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything saying he can't do that. I mean, he's a professional pitcher. Uh, He's one of the best of our generation. So if there's one guy to do it, it's probably him. But yeah, like you said, I think it has to go with playing to that lack of velocity. You know, we're in an era of max velocity right here, and he's just not that guy. You know, and he never really was a guy who was overpowering by any means. He threw relatively hard. Um, But I, I think he can make the adjustment, but I don't think it's going to be a Justin Verlander type situation here. Yeah, and I'm just trying to be optimistic. Let's face it, if you're a Cubs fan, say, and Lester leaves, you'd be absurd to be upset about Lester going. I think it's just, you know, he's really not a guy at this stage in his career that's going to uh, so you have to be very optimistic. Yeah, I, I know a lot of Cubs fans wanted to get him to see him get uh, his 200th win with them, I believe it was. Um, but besides that, you know, there's not too much to be hopeful for for him next year. Yeah, maybe I was a little harsh saying you'd be absurd, but, you know, I think Lester at this stage, you're being optimistic, and I'm trying to be a little optimistic. Lester was a great guy with the Red Sox. I enjoyed watching him pitch, but, you know, it's going to take a big change for him to become a valuable pitcher at this stage in his career. A guy who's turned his career around, I will give credit here, is Anthony Bass. You're a huge fan of Bass, and for good reason. 3-5-1 ERA in 2020. He spent some time in the closers role for the Blue Jays. Seven saves, 26 games, 25 and two-thirds innings pitched, 21 strikeouts. Not a huge strikeout guy, but what he does is get ground balls. He hits, gets some guys to get some balls in the dirt and the grass, and you know, that's a good thing when you're a bullpen pitcher. It gives a lot of fans heart attack when balls are put deep in the air. So a nice thing for the Marlins here, he signed a, de- a two-year, $5 million deal with a 2023 club option. A pretty cheap deal for the Marlins here. You'd have to expect, based on their current roster, that Bass would step into the closer role. And he had a good season 2019 with your Mariners, 44 appearances, 3.56 ERA. And based on advanced statistics, he improved in 2020. So looking good for him moving forward. Yeah, and I was a big guy in him on the beginning of this offseason. I thought the Phillies would be a really good option for him because he is cheaper, very underlooked. I was disappointed when the Mariners put him on waivers after the 2019 campaign, uh, and he proved me right. You know, the Blue Jays, with them last year, you said the 3-5-1 ERA has some closing experience as well. Uh, limits hard contact, like you said. Barrel percentage of 2.9 last season against opposing hitters, which is absolutely elite. He's not a high spin rate guy. I think that correlates with the high ground ball rate because he gets a lot of sink uh, on his fastball. Three-pitch pitcher as well, but very solid and probably will slot in as the Marlins closer on opening day unless they make any further moves. Good, Really good, yeah. actually. Brandon Kitzer replacement, now that I think about it more. Yeah, very similar pitchers, actually, and get, gets a lot of worm killers, as we like to say, those ground <laughs> balls in the dirt. But he had a 2 expected ERA last season, which was 98th percentile in the big leagues. Lots of red on a StatCast profile. We always preach that because StatCast metrics almost always translate onto the field and can always project a guy's success that's been underlooked and projecting moving forward. But I think, yeah, he'll look really good in the closest role for a team like the Marlins that could be sneaky. They were sneaky last year, snuck all the way into the playoffs. So Give them credit for this signing. Give Bass some credit, the guy who turned his career around. He really had never thrown more than 
um, 33 games in his career until his 2019 deal with the Mariners, where he pitched in 44 games and then through 26 games in 2020. Hasn't had a whole lot of experience, became a starter at the start of his career with the Padres, turned himself around in the bullpen, and really turned his whole career around. We talk about Lester potentially having to turn himself around at a late age. It's really never too late in baseball. That's the beauty of the game. And Bassett, 33 years old, is now a closer in the big leagues. So, or at least projects as a closer right now. So, you know, sneaky fantasy baseball pickup, I will add. I'm looking forward. I shouldn't be telling you since we're in the same league, but look out <laughs> for Bass moving forward. I think he could pick up some good fantasy points, some saves. So if you're playing this year, keep an eye on Bass. Another interesting signing, and a little bit of a minor signing, is Ryan Zimmerman returns to the Nationals. One year, $1 million deal. Nice deal for baseball, I will say. We love it when guys spend their whole career with one team, and that's exactly what it seems like with Zimmerman here. Kudos for the Nationals for giving him another chance, even though it doesn't seem like he has a clear spot on the roster without the designated hitter right now. Should be should get some at-bats, pinch hitting, maybe off the bench, depending on if we see the DH or not. If there is a DH, he's probably going to see some, some starts in the DH spot. Hits lefties well, good right-handed power bat. What were your thoughts when Zimmerman returned to the Nationals? It's a feel-good move. I mean, I loved it. Besides 2020 when he opted out, he's played in every single season. Uh, the Washington Nationals has been have been a part of the National League. So really cool move right there. Uh, it's cheap. I think this was literally a move just to let him have another season in a Nationals uniform, uh, which is really cool to see. He is Mr. National after all. Uh, not too much more that I can say, but hopefully he gets some playing time and can contribute to a Nationals team that uh, is very optimistic about making a postseason run this year. Whew, and we're almost through all the moves. One more, Max. Can you believe it? Over 20 players we've discussed today. And the last move we're discussing is a major move, Austin Romine. Okay, <laughs> maybe not a huge move. To give a little credit to Romine, he's a veteran catcher, can provide a solid backup presence for the Chicago Cubs. They signed him to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. He actually hit pretty solid in 2019. 96 OPS plus, about league average, which is a catcher, is pretty valuable. So... Give him a little bit, bit of credit. Uh, 12 doubles, 8 home runs. Hit a little bit of pop. Force 39 slugging in 2019. And 2020, not too much you can say about that. 582 OPS, 58 OPS plus. This is pretty much just one of those veteran catcher moves. A solid backup for the Cubs. Yeah, to replace Victor Carantini, of course. And again, he's been in the league for a very long time. And... He'll be a good backup to Contreras if they keep him and if they trade Contreras and don't get anyone back. Who knows? Maybe he'll be starting uh, for the Chicago Cubs next season. Alrighty, that's going to wrap up the show today. We had a plethora to talk about. We got through it. That was about 20 players or so right there. That has to be a Matanzas record right there. A little reminder here now, by the way, um, with the Matanzas matchup, this thing is getting tight. The one deciding question that Ryan and I disagreed on was, over or under three major free agent signings. With Springer signing earlier this week, there are two now. So if JT Real Muto, Marcelo Zuno, or Trevor Bauer sign before the end of the month, I get that point and I win the first month of Matanzas matchup. If they don't, Ryan will get the victory in that regard. So it's going to be tight. But JT Real Muto, if you're listening to this one, help out your buddy Max and accept that 100 mil deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. Help me get this one going. Alrighty, that's going to wrap up the show today. We had so much to talk about. We thank you guys so much for tuning in. For Ryan Medeiros, I'm Max Tanzer. We thank you so much for listening to The Tanzers, and we'll catch you next week.